Welcome to the Debt to Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Lagos, and the founder of Lagos Financial. I've been in the finance and lending industry for 16 years, and I've personally made financial mistakes and learned from them. I started this podcast to share stories and lessons on my own journey and to share insights that may help others on their journey. And I interview people that I've connected with that share the same values and mission to help others create financial freedom. My goal with this podcast is to share raw, honest, transparent, and helpful stories that you can relate to and inspires you to take control of your finances and only have debt that brings you closer to financial freedom. Everything on this podcast is general in nature and for education purposes only. None of your personal objectives, financial situation or needs has been taken into consideration. I highly recommend you seek personal, financial, legal, taxation and credit advice before you take any action on what has been heard on this podcast. Welcome to episode one of the Debt to Financial Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Victor Lagos. In today's episode, I really just want to share my story why I started this podcast, what brought me to where I am now in my own financial journey, and how I can really help people to learn more about managing their money so that it can create financial freedom coming from debt and using debt to really help them financially and not so they don't get stuck, basically. My story. So look, this is, this is an interesting one because my story is a long one, but I want to try to make sense of it for you guys so that way you, you get where I'm coming from. And you can see that if there's something that you relate to, it might help you on your journey. So some of this I haven't shared publicly, so it's, it's a little bit, uh, little bit difficult. But I think it's important that people hear, hear the truth uh, and transparency. So uh, I'm going to share that. So first and foremost, we're not taught, taught at school how to manage money. Financial literacy is not a part of our curriculum and there's many reasons why that is for me personally I wasn't good with money and my mum wasn't good with money she was into debt my dad was probably pretty good he was a business owner and he was able to save money so he was a saver and my mum was a spender and she would spend on credit cards and to give you a bit of cultural context I'm half Filipino and I'm half Chilean or Chilean South American. So my mom's side, the Filipino side, a lot of them, you know, God bless them. <clears throat> they care about their family. They want to help. But what happens is they end up using credit to help their family with the intent to pay back later. Same as my mom. But the problem is with credit card debt is that it can quickly spiral out of control and uh, that happened and created habits over the years. At one point that I'm aware of, she was in about $120,000 worth of credit card debt. Uh, and that's, that's a hard thing for, for anyone to get into that position. Um, and along the way, she made some other financial mistakes along with my, my dad, which then meant that, uh, long story short, they're now in their 70s, they're renting, and they're on the pension and they have no money to their name. Another key reason for that is they didn't have good help. So they didn't have actual advice from people that genuinely cared about helping them create that financial freedom. 
and people that, um, I guess, followed through on what they said. And, and I really want to help you guys out there that want to create that freedom. You're wanting to buy property potentially and you just want to know real advice and you want real stories, things that are actually going to help you to get there. Um, so I can share what I've learned because as I mentioned, when I was 18, so when I was younger, I got into debt. When I was 18, I, I took out a personal loan straight away. The bank gave me a $12,000 loan um, to buy a car and to take a holiday. Within a few months, they refinanced it. It got up to 18. It was very easy to get personal debt and too easy. And many people are in that same position. I took control of that when I, as I started to work in finance when I was 19 and I started to pay that debt back. Uh, but old habits die hard. The debt didn't get paid back that quickly. Sorry, got paid back and then I uh, accumulated it again. So I was 18 and I had all this debt. And as I progressed through the financial career, I took out more money, took out more debt, had a car loan. I eventually bought property. But that property I bought, it was my parents helped me buy that. And they had to sell their home to help me buy that. And the reason they, they had to sell the home is because they ended up investing in a property that they were sold the dream of financial freedom. And that dream was, you know, retiring early. It was, you know, looking after your family. It was, you know, passive income. But it was an off-the-plan property. And when you buy off-the-plan, there's a lot of risks involved. And they didn't know what those risks were. I didn't either. I was still younger. I was working at the bank at the time. But in hindsight, I know what happened. Because the loan wasn't structured correctly, it was a property that was um, overinflated. So they were, the person that they were sold the property by actually took advantage of them, told them that you know, it was the right investment, but it was actually overpriced. So that meant that Firstly, it wasn't going up in value. It was actually overpriced. And over time, it actually went backwards. And because it went backwards, they ended up having to sell the house less than what they bought it for and less than what was owing on the mortgage. So they still owed $20,000 after they sold the property. And they were both defaulted. So they weren't able to ever borrow again. And to add to that, they contributed a $100,000 deposit from their home to buy it in the first place. So as I said to you before, they're now retired, they've got no money to their name. I'm on a mission now. I'm on a mission to teach this what, what to do and what not to do so people don't end up in that position. It's, it's a hard thing to see that. Um, I'm very fortunate because I've been able to learn and get out of that structure in the last 12 months, my wife and I, uh, we, we've bought two investment properties. Both of them have done really well and they're doing very well. Uh, before that, I was able to save money and pay back debt, pay for our, our wedding, pay for our honeymoon. And it's led us to, to where we are today. Now I've got my own business and that's growing. So there's a few fundamental pieces to that that I want to share. And I'll go into detail in future episodes, but it really just starts with, you know, clarity, looking at how do you spend your money? How do you manage that money? And there's a really, really cool, cool saying I like, and that is there's two ways to create a small fortune. 
One of them is to spend less than you earn and invest the difference. And the second one is to provide something of value that other people are willing to pay for. So if you can do a bit of both, that's when you can create a greater fortune. And then if you just break that down a little bit further and say, spend less than you earn and invest the difference. So many people spend more than what they earn because they've got access to credit cards, they've got access to overdrafts, they've got buy now, pay later options. So you really just have to get to a point where you know exactly what you spend so that you can invest the difference and then you use the power of leverage. And leverage is something that you can use to buy property. And if you're buying property well and you're looking and you're researching, you're knowing the location, that where it's going to grow, you're looking at the numbers, you, you remove all emotions, that's when there's so much potential to create that financial freedom. You're able to then create recurring income. So if any of you guys have ever read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that book was an inspiration to me because it really talks about building your assets and reducing your liabilities. And it's about understanding what is an asset. So many people think that your house, your home is an asset. To an extent it is, but it's also a liability because it's costing you money. You're having to put money aside every single month to pay down that debt to live. It's not tax deductible and it's not income generating. Whereas when you invest into income generating assets like businesses or property, you're getting the tax deductions and you're, and you're getting the capital growth and you're getting the recurring income or passive income streams. So that's what I like about that book. It really talks about increasing your assets and reducing your liabilities. So liabilities is, is debt. This podcast is called Debt to Financial Freedom for a reason. It's about understanding debt and how to use that debt to create financial freedom and get rid of the bad debts, the stuff that's pulling you away from financial freedom. So when we talk about um, property, some of you might think, I want, to, I want to make money on property. I know someone that's invested in Sydney and the, and the prices have gone you know, berserk in the last few years. And it's true, but many of them have just fluked it. They were just in the market and it just it went up because that was the time of the current cycle. But if you do it with strategy, you work with the right people and you look at other markets, you can get into a more affordable position and you can do potentially something what's called rent vesting. That's what I do. My wife and I are rent vesters. What that means is we rent where we can afford, sorry, we rent where we want to live and we buy where we can afford based on strategy and something that's more realistic. So we get to live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney while we invest in other markets interstate. We own two properties, one in Tasmania, the other one in Adelaide. And both of them are positive cash flow. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more in detail of what that actually means. So let's consider for a moment. If you're an investor and you invest in, and you, and you want to buy a business, but let's say you want to buy a business and you raise capital to buy that business, an investor comes down, let's just say hypothetically, they, they pay 80% and you put 20% down. That investor will most likely want to get 80% back on their investment, right? Or they want to own 80% of that business because they put down 80%, right? Makes sense. And you get 20%. Well, you got to look at property in a similar manner because property is like a business. It has income, it has expenses, it has assets and liabilities. So the asset being the value of the property, 
the liability being the, the loan, the mortgage, and the income being the rent. Every expense related to that property is tax deductible. The tax office actually says that you can claim everything on an investment property like it's a business and you don't even need an ABN. So I know people that have got 15 properties and they don't have an ABN. It's all under their name, you know. But the point is, if you treat it like a business, you can grow it substantially. And more importantly, you use the power of leverage and you use other people's money. The saying OPM, it stands for other people's money. So I'll break that down for you. So for example, you buy, that, you buy a property, you've got $100,000. If you didn't use leverage and you put that in the bank, you might get say 3.5% a year at the moment. So at the end of 12 months, you'll make $3,500. If you don't take that money out, then you can compound that over time. So the power of compounding comes in. So at the end of year one, you've got 103500 and then you start to get a return on that the year after, right? But your return will only ever be on 100000 So what you do is you actually go to the bank and say, look, here's 100000 I want to buy a property for 500000 So then the bank will then give you 400000 to buy the property. The bank doesn't say, I want to take you know, profit of that when you sell that property or I want to take some of the income you generate. All they care about is interest and fees. And the interest is tax deductible, so are the fees, right? And the other thing is the tax office says that you can claim all the expenses on this property. So now you're getting tax deductions, you're getting money from the bank to help you buy the property, and then you get uh, tenants to live in the property that they're actually paying for the interest on the loan and the fees. And if you buy well, they'll also cover all the costs as well, like your maintenance, like council rates, all the running costs, insurances, property management fees, you know, water rates. So if you just consider that for a moment, you end up getting, you put 100,000 in, but now you're getting a return on investment on 500,000. And you've used the bank's money, the tax office, and the tenants to help you buy that. So, you know, instead of getting three and a half percent per year on a hundred thousand, imagine you get three and a half percent on uh, on five hundred thousand. So that's the main reason that I want to help. That's the main reason that I've started this podcast is to teach people the fundamentals and to interview people that can actually um, share their insights. All right. So in this section, I'm going to answer some frequently asked questions or FAQs. As I'm a mortgage broker, a finance broker, I get asked. A lot of questions in this current market. So I'm just going to answer that. Answer some of them. So the first one, should I refinance my home loan? It depends. Is your current loan fixed or is it currently variable? A lot of people are currently in a fixed rate because they were able to get it a couple of years ago, sometimes below 2%. If you're going to expire in the coming months and there's a lot of loans that are, then it's worth understanding what will that rate be when it changes over but still holding on to it for as long as you can because at the moment variable rates you know for owner occupier four percent and above and for investors they're five percent and above so you need to be pretty conscious of of what you're going to revert to what i would recommend is to calculate what your future repayments will be based on today's rates and start putting money aside to match that so that you're prepared for when the when the loan rolls over because fixed rates are even higher 
they're at like 6% potentially, depending on uh, if it's investor or interest only. So if you're already on variable, definitely time to time to review. Uh, just be aware that your borrowing capacity could be affected. So speak to your mortgage broker, get them to run the numbers and see what your borrowing capacity is and just see what interest rates uh, are on offer. There's also some cashback offers. So at the moment, a few banks are trying to win business and they're giving back <clears throat> two grand, three grand, four grand as a cash rebate. And so that's, that's to incentivize you to refinance. So it could be worthwhile to do it now. Um, and the other thing you can do is potentially uh, stay with the bank that you're with. If they're aware that you know, you're considering leaving, they might offer you something more competitive. Nine times out of 10, they're probably not going to match what a new bank will uh, because many of you may not know this, but banks have a uh, back book and a front book when it comes to their pricing. So some people call it a loyalty tax. And that means the longer that you're with the bank, the higher your interest rate, even if you've made all your payments on time. And then the new customer will get actually a better interest rate, a more competitive one. And you would think, why would they do that? I've been loyal to them. It's they reprice their back book and then they try to, you know, get better rates or new customers on their front book because they're aware that people are going to leave and then they just bring on new customers. So it's, it's a structure that exists in Australia. It's, it's a rare thing, but keep that in mind that you probably are going to get something better if you did refinance. Next question. What's my view on increasing interest rates? So at the moment, we're in obviously a strange time. We've, we've come out of, you know, We've come out of COVID. We've come out of a lot of stimulus. Uh, there's a lot of inflation that's happening in the market. Um, you know, realistically, it probably is going to increase in the next few months and into next year. But I don't believe it's going to continue because the way the economy runs is people spending money, right? And they, you know, one man's expense is another man's income. If the, if the interest rates rise so much that people have to force sell everything uh, because their income isn't increasing to, to be able to afford the loans, then they're going to stop spending everything. So it's going to actually impact the economy worse. So I do believe that it will get to a point where they will, they will slow it down uh, and potentially even reduce rates. Of course, I can't predict that. I, I can't see into a crystal ball. But, you know, if you just go off, you know, if you think about cycles and if you look at the past and the way rates have gone up and down, you know, rates aren't as high as they've been in the past right now. And when they were at record lows two or three years ago, that was a very, you know, non, it wasn't a sustainable amount to stay at sort of 2% interest rate. So right now I think, you know, five, 6% is probably a decent amount to kind of accept as a reality, but we'll see how things go in the next year. Another question I get is, how can I get my home loan approved faster? So that's, that's an interesting question because it all depends on your circumstances and the paperwork. So if you're self-employed, you're going to need at least two years of tax returns and financial statements, right? If your ABN has only been registered for a year, it's going to be a little bit difficult to get a loan, especially from a big bank. So it's important to get all your ducks in order, get all your paperwork up front. Banks and lenders will approve your loans if you provide everything up front. If you miss things, it's going to delay things. So that's what I would recommend first and foremost. Have all your paperwork, line it all up, send it to your broker and let your broker 
run the numbers and find the best solution for you. Uh, there also are banks that are much faster, uh, that will approve your loan in, in a day. And there are some that might take a few more days. So you've got to weigh up like, you know, what, what is the reason you want the, the loan approved faster? Yeah. If it's to buy a property, then you need to exchange quickly on a contract. It would make sense. Go to a bank that's going to approve it faster. If it's to refinance, look, realistically, you can't refinance unless it's like two weeks or three weeks sometimes before the current bank will actually uh, discharge or actually let you leave. So that gives you time anyway. Uh, so I do recommend to not just consider the time it's going to take, but also what what cost, like how much is it going to save you in terms of the interest rate and the cashback. Another question is variable versus fixed. So that's that question comes down to flexibility and cost. So at the moment, variable rates are cheaper than than fixed rates. So it's going to be, if but they they are increasing. So it might what might happen is that the variable rate will overtake the fixed. But that's today's fixed. So if you fix the loan today, you're going to be paying higher than variable. But maybe in two, three, four months, that variable rate will overtake the fixed. And if it does, that's when you're going to be in a better position. So you're taking a bit of a risk up front to say, I want to pay more and betting that the variable rate will overtake it. Uh, so it is, it is something that, you know, if you're going to do that, I would say maybe have a bit of, bit of both. Some people will fix some of the loan and then have another portion variable. The other part I mentioned, which was uh, flexibility. Well, flexibility means that, you know, if you've got a variable loan, you can make extra payments as much as you want. You can put in, you know, $10,000 lump sum if you sold a car or if you had a bonus and there's no limitation of how much you can pay back. A fixed loan has a limit of about 10000 per year. So if you pay more than that, the bank can charge you break costs and they can also, um, uh, you lose your fixed rate. So that's why I mentioned earlier, it's probably good to have a combination of both, some fixed, some variable. So you can get some flexibility and you also can you know, give yourself that um, certainty for that, for that fixed rate. A couple more I'll go through. Um, is now a good time to buy? I think it's always a good time to buy, personally. It's just about understanding the different markets, where to buy, um, where you can get an affordable price. I, I used a buyer's agent for my last property. I really recommend using a buyer's agent because not all buyer's agents are the same. You need to work with ones that, that are genuine, that care, that are good at what they do, that deliver, that you can get testimonials from uh, because they will then look for property that's in a market that you can afford based on your borrowing capacity and where it's going to get you that uh, rental return and the capital growth in the short term as well as the long term because property is typically a long play. Unless you're a bit more sophisticated, you've got access to more capital, that's when you do more, say, developments or, or renovations and flip property, etc. But usually you'd want to buy and hold. So yes, rates are expensive at the moment and borrowing capacity is being squeezed. But there are markets where you can buy positive cash flow property. And many of you might be aware that there is a, a rental shortage. Uh, so rental returns are much higher right now. So that means that even with the higher rates, the, the high rental return means that you can afford to cover the mortgage repayment uh, with that rent. So definitely a good time to buy. Just it's about knowing where to buy. Should I use my equity to buy another property? That's, an, that's a good question because that's exactly what I did. Uh, my wife and I, we bought a property in Tasmania. 
uh, and it went up close to 100,000 in a year. And we extracted the equity and we used that equity as deposit to buy another property. So what I like about property is that if you buy well, you don't have to keep saving up a deposit. You can just get the equity out and then buy another property. So there's, there's only two ways of getting equity out of your property. One of them is to borrow it, which I just mentioned. And the other one is to sell. The problem with selling is you, you've, you've got costs that you have to cover. So there's obviously selling agent fees um, and there's uh, capital gains tax if, if it's an investment. And most importantly, once you sell, you're out of the market. So, you, you, you know, if you, if you sell to tap in that cash, you, it's likely you get out. Um, it's likely once you're out, you're, you, can, you can't get back into that market. So I think it's important to think about that. If it's a strong area, it's going to have good long-term growth, it would probably make more sense to extract the equity by borrowing it rather than selling. Uh, the other thing to consider is um, how much equity do you have, right? If you're with one bank, they will order... A, they will provide a valuation and that will tell you what the property is worth and what you can borrow in terms of equity. But another bank may have another valuation that's even higher. So it's always good to talk to your broker to order a few. I usually order about three, sometimes four, and try to get the most possible uh, because it's, um, it's subjective. The valuer may, one valuer might know the area better than another and think the property is worth more and that can give you access to more equity. Uh, but you do have to think that if you if you did borrow the equity, it's going to increase your loan because you're essentially you can potentially borrow 100%, right? So say you bought the property for 500,000, you borrow 80% of that, um, you know, which is 400,000, and then you had equity of 100 on another property, and you borrow that. So now you borrow the full 500,000. So no money down, but your debt is 500,000. So you need to consider like, is the rent actually going to be able to cover that? Um, and will it cover it as the rates go up? So it's always important to have buffers in place. So cash put aside um, to cover off any of those shortfalls that you have. So talk to your mortgage broker and they can run the numbers for you and talk to a good buyer's agent that can help you buy well uh, so you don't end up you know, like my parents. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more insights about property investing, and using debt to help you create financial freedom. Subscribe to this channel and follow us on our socials. Tune in to our next episode. I'll see you soon.